Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash, Series 1, Episode 26. And I'm very glad to have with me Michael Langut, COO and co-founder of POC Commerce. Uh, welcome, Michael. Hey, thank you very much for, for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So for the benefit of the listeners, you, you have been uh, very much uh, a serial entrepreneur. But this particular project with POC Commerce, you've been involved with this company for best part of eight years now. Could you bring us up to speed as to your journey to date? I mean, really, for me, I guess my, my outlook on or my perspective on, on entrepreneurship always came from my grandfather probably already that he I mean he started or he really made our family business uh, to what it is now and he made it from a very small sort of wine um, producer and wine sort of merchant to one of the largest wine companies in Europe and and I was always really impressed with that so in some ways like I already had from very early on like an idea of what an entrepreneur would do and how it would work and I did find that very very fascinating I then went on to study something completely different so i decided to study sociology and economic psychology and during that time i met two of my best friends and we decided to start a what we called back then an internet company because we didn't know the term startup um and we so we started this company together which is actually very similar to um to what airbnb is so we called it home abroad it was basically meant for exchange students to come into our university town and people that go on exchange to be able to supplement their rooms. And then we sort of extended that to more and more people. And it was actually very successful in, in our little university town in the Netherlands. But yeah, so we, we had a good time there. We made a little bit of money. We were actually able to sell the, the website in the end to some other students who wanted to have a go. But yeah, so that was really my first taste of, of entrepreneurship myself. And, and I really, really liked it. And especially with good friends, it was just a really fun time. I then went on to actually wanted to go into social entrepreneurship. So I, I was always very fascinated by the idea of uh, businesses being able to achieve more than just a sort of monetary goal, but also achieving sort of, um, societal and environmental goals. And that really fascinated me. So I wanted to learn more about that. And I joined a uh, investor that invests in social entrepreneurs. And I worked with different uh, companies there. That really then made me want to even learn more. So I uh, decided to do a master's course in entrepreneurship, uh, which is where I met my co-founder. And together we decided to um, start a business. It was really based in originally, the original idea was uh, based on his background in, in e-commerce and our conversations about apps and how apps are changing uh, really pretty much every industry. But uh, as we saw it at that point, it was still in many ways uh, retail sort of lagging behind. And so my co-founder, he had built several e-commerce platforms and we were looking at um, the mobile app space and we saw that there was just nothing out there and there had to be, there had to be an e-commerce platform for native apps. Uh, so that's why we built POC. 
Right. Yes, there's a, a growing, growing trend of purchases being made on the mobile device and the performance is everything in terms of accessing information, reviewing the product and making a purchase on the mobile device. And to have a website running in a browser connected to the device is just not suitable. It's a massive impact on customer experience mm. and conversions. So tell us a bit more about POC itself then. What does it do? At its core, it's simply like the more modern iteration of what e-commerce platforms have uh, sort of solved for the web over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, I think e-commerce now has been around for some, something over 20 years. And if you look at the, a lot of the platforms out there right now, like the big platforms that would be run by Tesco and uh, Asda and Sainsbury's and uh, all of these platforms, they use technologies that basically have been built in the early part of 2000. So Oracle ATG, which is probably still one of the most dominant platforms, was built in, I think, 2001. SAP Hybris, 2002. Uh, Salesforce Commerce Cloud was built also in the first part of that decade. And, and these technologies are just not built for the kind of interaction that you would want to see on a mobile phone, the kind of sort of super engaging, um, responsive, super fast um, touchscreen experience that you need to have on a smartphone. And what people really expect when they, when they use their smartphone, they see, they see their Gmail app and they see their calendar app and they see Instagram and Facebook and all of these other apps that are just beautiful and they, they have all these little animations. And, and if you compare that to a mobile website, it's just very disappointing. That's what we offer our clients as a way to build their own native shopping app that is super engaging, super responsive, fast, secure, um, and integrates with all of their existing backend systems. So that's actually a bit, big part of what we do of our platform is that there's a cloud backend system that, which is hosted in Azure, which uh, connects to all of these different um, <laughs> plethora of different types of uh, backend systems that exist around just old technologies that not always have uh, good APIs and we had to find ways to integrate with product fees or not so stable APIs and like sort of enrich data from different ways. And, and that's just uh, a big part of what we do for our clients, but then we offer them a tool set and an SDK for the front end where they can either um, ask us to build and design the app or they can design it themselves uh, with their own in-house team or they can use an agency. So we work with uh, a small number of system integrators that, or e-commerce agencies that would be able to work on the POC platform and build a native app. And that's really where we see the future of, uh, of POC is really enabling this ecosystem that so far has been mostly or like almost solely working on e-commerce, uh, also work on app commerce. See, you have customers I understand a bit like um... Holland and Barrett, House of Fraser, and many, many others that have taken advantage of your services and platform. When you say to me, building yourself SDK, so software development kit, that says to me, ah, do I need to know coding? Mm. Is, that, is that so with, with your platform? There's two streams, really. There's the sort of, well, actually, there's three streams. One is we have self-service tools that you can use, um, which we're launching quite a few over the next actually months. So every month there's a new tool coming out in the next few months around styling your app in a web sort of tool uh, where you can make changes like changing your font, changing your color scheme, changing sort of the look and feel of, of the app. 
a lot of it already now is being powered by our CMS, so our content management system that powers um, the home screens that would allow you to do create lookbooks and sort of app stories, which is a bit like Instagram stories, so like engaging content that is shoppable, um, that allows you to upload videos or send push notifications. So a lot of these things are already now in the CMS and we're adding more and more of these self-service tools that allow you to, as a business user that is not technical in the sense of a developer, can manage and sort of, uh, yeah, really, yeah, own the app themselves. And then if you want to go further, if you want to extend or really customize the app, you can either sort of pay our professional services team. So we have part of our company is essentially almost like an in-house agency that allows our clients to have changes made um, that also works on sort of implementation projects. And then ongoing, you can make changes, add functionality. Like one of our clients recently added a sort of app first uh, click and collect uh, system to the app where the app is very much the sort of the centerpiece of, of doing click and collect in their stores, which is, I find very, very interesting um, because it's super consumer friendly. It automates a lot of things. So that's the kind of thing that our professional services team would build bespoke uh, on top of the platform. But more and more things, you can, you can change different layouts and you can change different sort of add new data to what you want to show in a product detail page, for example, if you want to show uh, live availability of your products so that if, I, if I'm a consumer and I look at a product, I can see if my uh, sort of the jumper that I'm looking at is in stock in my favorite store in yellow uh, or whatever color I want to see. So that kind of sort of extensibility of the data model is, is something that we have been working through a lot over the last few months. Fantastic. Um, but for that, you need to be a developer. Of course, of course. Did you say that the application, the solution you're providing is cloud-based? Is that right? I mean, obviously, as a native app, it runs on, on the consumer's phone, but the, the infrastructure behind it is all cloud-based. Um, our infrastructure all um, sits on Microsoft Azure. Mm -hmm. um, we've, been, we've been a Microsoft partner for quite a while, probably one of the bigger bigger SME customers in, in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, which is always very funny because we are a tiny, tiny company co uh, in numbers of people. When they look at us, they, they look at our numbers because they, they look at you two ways. One is like your, your hosting cost or how much you spend in terms of Azure, so subscription, and then how many people do you have for office? And when they look at us for office, it's always a bit like, oh, I don't know, you're just like a really tiny company. Um, but our <laughs> subscription costs are quite uh, quite high, unfortunately. Because mm. the, the reason why I asked that question is because you, you're getting, as you bring on more and more customers who are transacting day by day, the visibility of the ebb and flow of retail consumption or purchases, mm. you, you get a aggregated view. And that in itself, that information, that data could be then be very valuable to a lot of your customers. Y yes, that is Correct. I mean, we are building out a data science team at POC. We've always been running uh, reports with our sort of mostly me and our marketing team have been looking at at the insights that we see and, and sort of promoting that back to our client base around when is a good time to send a push notification based on the sort of user browsing behavior of uh, consumers in, in the UK or in the US or even in like you can 
go down to a city level uh, to say people in Manchester uh, browse at a different time to people in London. Yeah, so we do see a lot of that anonymized user behavior. And we then, we, we have quite big plans of, of what you can do with that in terms of analyzing trends, analyzing forecasting trends, uh, which is quite interesting based on, on the, the cross-section of, of, use, of consumers that we have on the platform, which is uh, several million users in the UK. A lot of them, by definition, online shoppers are, are vastly, the vast majority is women, and a lot of our customers have, well, at least it's a very interesting target demographic of the sort of 18 to 35, 40-year-old uh, women that spend a lot on, on fashion and beauty and, and online product or products mm. generally. Interesting. So you're growing very, very quickly. You've been awarded uh, and recognized in the the Deloitte Fast 50 back in 2017, number 26, I think. Um, actually, last year as well. Uh, not as good rated anymore, but still in the top 50. It's still growing and still growing quickly, which is fantastic amongst your peers. Mm. You as an organization are a little further down the line or further along on the entrepreneurial journey or the, the evolution of a business uh, than most of the founders I've spoken to so far. What's your experience to date in going along that journey from startup to then sort of elevating yourself into a role of a, a rapid growing company uh, to where you are today? Hmm. That's a good question. It's, it's a bit difficult because it's a bit like uh, trying to watch you, the lawn in, uh, in front of your house grow. Uh, it's like you, one day you look outside or like your hair grow, you kind of see, oh, wow, it's long. It's a bit like that for me where I, I find it hard to to say when that sort of switch happened. I mean, it's always about, for me, it's a lot about the people and the team. The main reason why I do this is that we've been able to hire and convince a lot of very smart, very intelligent and very nice people to, to join our company and I feel very indebted to them. Today, we actually had somebody here who's uh, right now on, on maternity leave and it's great because camp, she, she visited our new office. So we moved since she left, uh, since she went on maternity leave. and. Um, yeah, it's a, <laughs> seeing it through her eyes and she was amazed by the new office, how big it is and how uh, <laughs> she, she said how professional it looks. Um, it's quite funny. And it's also a difficult thing as an entrepreneur to look back and say, oh, wow, we've actually achieved a lot. And you need to, I think you need to find these moments and sort of with your co-founders or with your colleagues, sort of almost put these points in time in place where you can look back and say, Oh, wow, this is what we actually have achieved. This is really amazing. Because otherwise, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and myself just sort of always, there's a constant feeling of being sort of, you know, not, not there yet or not doing enough or like this feeling of inadequacy because there's so many things you know you still want to improve that it feels like you haven't achieved much at all. Mm. But then you look back and see how far you've come. It must spur you on to then progress and take that extra step forward again. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we do a nice thing with our co-founders that we, we go away once a year. We go to a conference, so we actually also learn something. Uh, it's a great conference in San Francisco called Sastra, probably the biggest sort of meeting of cloud and SaaS companies in the world, and it's super inspiring. And, and we always use that time to also look back a bit and say, okay, so this time last year, where were we? This time, this time the year, two years before, where were we? And it's, it's always very impressive, especially when you, when you grow as a company and you double every year, 
in terms of revenue and in terms of people, you kind of, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite amazing to look back every now and then and see how far you've come. Growing so rapidly, you need to, to access capital in order to further invest. So both in people, both and in technology. And I understand you received your Series B funding of 9.5 back in May last year. I'm assuming you've invested in the people, you've invested in the continual development of your platform. Where else are you investing that money? For us, it was a lot about um, building a, a management team. There's a few roles where we had to really bring on people who have been there and done that because it's such a difficult task. And also having a, having a very young fund, founding team, you, we had to sort of um, equal, uh, even that out with some very experienced people to be able to, yeah, to go faster together and like to achieve what we want to do. <laughs> it took us actually a long, long time. I mean, our VP of sales, for example, we took, it took us almost a year to hire that person. Same with uh, our new CTO. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but it's also the most important thing you'll do as a, as a startup founder is like when you start hiring for, for other C-level people, like making sure they're right and trying the best that you can to sort of vet them and understand what they're coming from what's their motivation yeah it's very important so that was a big part for us it's like building out that team then also we invested in i mean generally for us customer acquisition and like building out a sales team we've gone from two salespeople to now eight field salespeople and then business development reps and marketing and there's just a lot of investment that's gone into the sort of go-to-market team <laughs> we're still investing in that yeah, and now it's sort of also about seeing that these guys are, get, are getting productive and, and making sure they, they're selling what they're supposed to sell and that they can do their job as good as, as, good as they can. And as my role, I see my role is really helping them to become as productive and efficient as possible. Same with obviously the rest of the company from customer success to professional services and the product team. That's my previous role was working in software helping grow an organization through sales of product and service. Mm. Um, very interesting indeed. With regards to bringing on your executive team, mm -hmm. did you have any recommendations made to you by your, your board or your uh, VCs, your investors? I generally believe that businesses are making connections and using those connections to get where you want to get to. Um, yeah, I mean, hiring senior people are generally hiring is definitely a very good example of a place where you need to really leverage your network as much as you can. For example, our VP of sales, he's actually an old friend of our chairperson. He was, he was our chairperson's boss at some point, which is quite funny at times. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we've reached out to all our network. We've used a headhunting firm that I know through our network, find our CTO and our CFO and them. Um, happy with that yeah generally i mean we we always try to use our network as much as possible the here and now you're growing rapidly and continually hiring which i'm sure is a challenge at times but in the next 12 months as we look to come back every year to see how you've done and how you're progressing what are your goals for the next 12 months Hmm, it's going to be fun to look back. Um, all right. So the goal for the next 12 months, first of all, we want to expand our um, US presence. We now have about 15% of our revenue coming from the US and we want to more than double that whilst we're growing our 
sort of UK and EMEA and sort of rest of the world uh, revenue. So we want to really like we, we're starting an office. So one of my co-founders is actually going to the US uh, to start our New York office. And that will be our first sort of foothold. And then from there, we want to see where to best place ourselves in the long term in the US. So yeah, that's a big challenge. The other one is around, for us, creating the category of app commerce is probably the most important long-term goal. And there's a lot of things that come from that sort of idea of category creation, which I'm a big fan of. If you ever read the book, uh, Play Bigger, I can strongly recommend it. Category creation, if you can, if that is what your business is about or when, if that is part of what you're doing, creating a new thing, something that's really different to what has been there before. It's super like exciting because you can get, when you have the first time somebody else saying those words that you have created, this, coin, uh, this term that we coined uh, called AppCommerce, if, if I hear other people talking about it, it makes me very, very proud. We know that this is, has to be done with a partner ecosystem, like we can't do this ourselves. And even with competitors, like if our competitors talk about the same term, it's great. In the end of the day, actually, like we, we are probably in the, we're in the top three in the world of companies that can provide you a software solution for an app. There's a lot of retailers out there. So if, we, if the three of us were to really move that market in our direction, then we all win big time. But yeah, so like category creation is a big topic this year. We're building our partner ecosystem with both uh, agency partners where we want to have push more of them to, to build uh, POC apps for their clients. So most of them would be e-commerce agencies, but also looking at uh, app agencies to see if they were interested to, to use our, our platform. It'd be good to understand how you compare with your competitors at a very high level. What's your own personal view on what separates POC from the other two vendors in the category of app commerce? Mm. So really the, what's happening is that we don't ever lose against those guys. We have lost clients that have decided to bring things in-house. There's, then there's a, like, almost like a philosophical debate, which is as old as software businesses are, which is, do you want to buy software or do you want to build it yourself? And, and there's like tons and tons of literature around this sort of age-old divide between like those two camps and and some people you know there's a there might be like a cto that wants to just build an empire and he wants to like own this and like have full control and it's a it's a character thing it's like a it's like a way of looking at the world and then there's people that are aware of that uh, you know the division of labor is important and you don't have to build everything yourself and like relinquishing um, and just having the right way of managing these different vendors and these different tools that you're using that being good at that is what makes your business great and then obviously the the way that your product is actually your actual product you know you know the the whatever you sell the actual sofa or the actual table or the actual pair of shoes that you sell that's in the end of the day is like the the real differentiator I think for that reason, like I truly believe that in the long term, um, software as a service will win and like people will not keep on reinventing the wheel. And like uh, as we and our platform gets better um, and supporting our clients, uh, more and more people will adopt a best of breed approach where there's an API economy in the cloud and, and that's winning in the long term. We don't really look at competitors in that way at all. Like in Europe, we don't really ever have competitive deals against like actual sort of similar businesses. We often compete against agencies or sort of agency platforms or, or in-house is the other sort of competitor. But from an app commerce perspective, you're the leading light, I expect. I would say so. 
and then generally sort of focusing on on growth so it's a really interesting thing where a lot of the tech scene there's a discipline called growth growth marketers and there's a lot of strategies that people use to you know test and iterate and and sort of growth hacking as a as a as a discipline is very big in the tech scene it's not something that's come to to retailers thus far and it's something that we really want to help our clients understand and and work on to use their apps as this machine for growth uh, right now it's very much um, the the focus for most of our clients is around client retention and making their client their most loyal customers super happy and and the apps are great for that but we believe that the bigger opportunity is actually around using the apps for growth and, and really pushing forward a retail business to compete properly and like to be in front of their customers and offer, offer a great service at the same time. Very interesting. I've read the book myself and I thoroughly enjoyed it and highly recommend it to the listeners. So please go out and take a look at that book. Massive if you're looking to build a category king. For the benefit of the listeners, uh, every founder on their journey has learned something. Is there anything in particular that you've learned that you could share with the listeners? I've always loved this question because I always feel like I have a better answer sort of two hours later. Um, <laughs> but generally, like one, a few things actually that I learned, I was reminded of uh, when we went to this conference in San Francisco. So number one is if you're in SaaS, it's different. And I don't know B2C commerce or B2C startups as well as B2B. Uh, that's our world. And that's, you know, recurring revenue makes things possible that, for example, uh, Jason Lemkin, the founder of Sustra and a uh, very successful entrepreneur as well, he, he talks a lot about like the different stages in a SaaS business. So once you hit 1 million of recurring revenue, he says, don't stop. You have found something. The, the hardest bit is get to the first million, which I'm not sure if it's, if I agree it's the hardest bit, but it's definitely a hard bit to get to that first 1 million of recurring revenue, because then like things start to compound. And that's just very an interesting point. So we're now at uh, sort of six and a half million uh, of recurring revenue. And they say, when you hit to 10 million recurring revenue, you get, you start to be unstoppable. And, and that really beca is because of the compounding effects of good growth, a good growth machine. So like you, you figured out your go-to-market, you have your sales team being productive, you have your BD team and your marketing team working together to really start moving the market in your direction. And again, like customer success is super important and a good retention rate or especially like a positive uh, net retention rate will mean that there's strong compounding effects to get very quickly from 10 to 15. And at that point, really, things start really compounding by putting all of these different metrics together. And yeah, so at that point, he says, go along and try to try to get to 100 million and try to, when you do that, you definitely know you, you have the chance of building a, what he calls a generational business, which is uh, someone like Dropbox or Slack, where these businesses will be around for a long time and um, they don't have to sell anymore. They, they, they have their own value in their own right. And obviously if you want to sell to a Microsoft or Facebook, but like you don't have to anymore because you have a, you have something that's valuable for customers. And um, that's just really interesting. And on the same note, actually another learning or learning a good reminder is that uh, things always take longer than you think they will. So a few things from there is like not giving up and being okay with it taking longer. Like this whole idea of like, uh, triple, triple, double, double in terms of your growth rates for the f once you hit more million, then to triple, triple, and then double, double. 
to get to as quickly as possible as, as Slack would have done to a really good sort of recurring revenue is actually not the case. I mean, it's actually, these are outliers and most companies that are very successful don't do triple, triple, double, double. You can do one triple or just doubling, which is pretty much what we've done. And you become a very successful business very quickly. And yeah, so like, don't believe the hype and just, you know, work on your business. If you have good customers that like what you do and that are willing to spend more every year, then you have, you've got something and you should keep at it. Uh, with regards to being a generational business, the changing of the times in retail, the way people buy, where the attention lies where people are going to go to purchase product and how they're going to do that. So the mechanism which you are building and delivering to your clients at the moment, I see in the future, there'll be a, an increase in purchasing through augmented reality and eventually virtual reality. Is that on the minds mm -hmm. of your developers and your executive team at POC? <laughs> I think, um, I think there's this concept of the uh, leading edge of technology and then the concept of like, when you're three steps further ahead, you're on the bleeding edge of technology. And I would definitely say that right now, virtual reality and augmented reality in retail, um, uh, the bleeding edge of, uh, you're gonna have a very tough time right now to you know, have people pay actual money for what you do. Retailers love to do a proof of concept and something in one store. Like I've seen quite a few sort of virtual reality apps of retailers in the past. And, and uh, very few of them made actual sense in the context of their business. I think like it's something we, we love technology. We're technologists. Our whole team loves apps. And like one of the interview questions that we talk about is like, what is your favorite app and why and how do you use it? We, we believe in this technology of native apps or using your mobile phone to the full extent it can be. And yeah, eventually, or like we have done things in terms of augmented reality with clients where you can scan like a poster in a store and this, that will explain you how to, for example, use the makeup that's being advertised or uh, a lookbook of uh, things and then you can buy it right away with Apple Pay. And there's things like that that we offer with partners. And, and we think POC is, well, the way we see POC is we are the platform that will enable other people to integrate into and sell to our clients and build a business on top of our platform. So if there's entrepreneurs out there that have an SDK for something in augmented reality or virtual reality that relates to retail and they want to work with our clients like they should come and reach out and uh, we can have a chat amazing and you mentioned some reading learnings from play bigger as an example are there any other particular books that have impacted on your life to date and, and your knowledge mm. one that i one that i always like in terms of especially when there's hard times like the hard thing about hard things by ben horowitz if i remember correctly um the hard things about hard things is uh is an amazing book. It gives you a lot of great insights and it's, it's very much written by a, a hip hop fan and myself and my co-founders were hip hop fans. So we, we love all the quotes in the books as well from Kanye West and Jay-Z. Yeah, like that book is, is really an interesting insight and love the psyche of founders, but also it gives you very practical uh, sort of recommendations and tips around hiring, for example, which is probably one of the hardest things. If you're a young founder and like trying to figure that out, book that I read right now is called Lost in Founder by the founder of uh, SEO Moss. Some really interesting ideas in there and it's a nice story. I mean, a classic one is uh, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, which we read in uni 
and I still often refer to when we look at our customer base and we analyze sort of the market and uh, especially in a context of category question, there's a lot of that, that sort of thinking that's been around for decades, still very, very relevant to, to sort of modern day software businesses. Even as a salesperson in the software industry, I referred back to that book as well. And I always tried to model or reference the book and compare mm. the prospect in which I'm talking to, Yeah, you know, where, where mm. do they sit? as a buyer and uh, then it gives you an understanding of how you engage with these individual sort of profiles of customers yeah i'm very very interesting and a bit more about you michael let's learn a bit more about you you said hip-hop you love hip-hop that's brilliant <laughs> uh, but what what else about you a lot of time and effort is, is spent building a business, employing people, going out for investment. But how do you get the balance? How do you get away from the madding crowd? Hmm. I think one thing that makes it easier for me is like having, and that's, I guess it's one of the reasons that I went into entrepreneurship is that I, I actually really dreaded the idea. I remember being a kid and dreaded the idea of having to, to go to a company and, and dress in a certain way and cut my hair in a certain way and shave in a certain way. And I had this like horrible vision of like having to do all of these things and it's just not going to work. And in, in many ways, like that's sort of, <laughs> that's really worked out well because I can not just dress and, and, and look this, the way I want to but I can also just be myself in our company. Like there's no two versions of me that one is at work and one is at home. That's just me. And, and that makes it easier for me to be able to be myself and not have to do that. So there's not as much of a need to have this distinction. I think also like for me is doing sports. Like we, we're actually a super, um, like <laughs> a lot of our company plays different sports. Um, so we have, uh, Tuesday badminton, which I'm a big fan of. I'm, I'm playing every Tuesday lunchtime with our team. Uh, we have three courts that we play on. And then Tuesday evening, they play football, which I would love to play, but my knees are not that good anymore. Then there's basketball. There's uh, We have a ping pong table. People really like cycling, which I also very much enjoy to, doing on the weekends, like going for uh, a longer cycle sort of trip. There's a group called Tech Bikers. They cycle. Um, they, it originally comes from like doing a, a big cycle together and raising money for a charity. So it started at London to Paris uh, or Paris to London. These kind of sort of charity bike rides are all around Europe and I think in the US and even in Israel. So yeah, cycling and, and <laughs> cycling is a big thing in my <laughs> experience now in the tech scene. I think on our board, pretty much 90% of the people are cyclists. Earlier in my career, I was over in Palo Alto uh, for a company I was working, a, a small startup business, technology workflow orientated. And yeah. I got told by somebody that a lot of business in, on the San Francisco hills, a lot of business got done on the bike, <laughs> which is very interesting. <laughs> Especially that hill coming after the crossing Golden Gate Bridge yes. and then, then up those hills. Yes. It's a good place. You have a lot of time to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd have any breath to talk. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of entrepreneurs that you aspire to be or look up to, I can appreciate every entrepreneur is an individual and there's nobody else like you. But is there any activities or 
achievements that other people have achieved that you'd say, yeah, I'd like to do something like that. Who, who are those sorts of people? I find it hard to compare myself to, for example, people in, in Silicon Valley, because oftentimes these, the stories of those people feel so different. I'm not a person that works seven days a week. Um, I, I like to have my weekends and I think it's very important to do that. So, so like hearing Elon Musk, his diary and like the way he works, I find it somewhat strange and I'm not sure if I think humanity should well work like that. Uh, obviously, if you want to, sure, you can do that. I'm just not sure it's healthy for every person. I guess for myself, I, I look at more like the London scene and like people that are sort of two steps ahead or even at the same level where sort of in, in a few groups that I'm in, like there's a COO group here in East London that I'm a part of where there's some people in there that have done things around, for example, their company culture or their company go-to-market uh, approach that I really think, oh, wow, this is, this is great how, how this person or this company is doing that. So companies like uh, List, for example, or Ampliance uh, or Charlie HR, um, there's a lot of these founders that, uh, that I find, yeah, I find very inspiring because they can very much relate to sort of their experience. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? I think to be honest, I'm not, I'm not a, and my co-founder is the best person at reminding me of that. Like there's no point in looking back and saying, saying, oh, we could have done this better. Or we could have done this differently and would have been better now because unless, unless you actually get to that point and you can, you have the same or similar decision again, and you can actually learn from that sort of uh, situation and you will do it differently and better. Um, but otherwise I don't feel like there's any point in, in regretting anything. Maybe like not, being so stressed about things that feel huge at the time that then turn out to be less big. And actually one thing is probably in that is a learning that I'm trying to remind myself is like, if there's a big issue and or a thing that feels big, especially like people issues oftentimes feel big. If you, if you sort of tackle them head on and you just approach them and just talk to the person or talk to the, the client or whatever is the problem and just, yeah, speaking to people sort of, uh, human to human like oftentimes things can be resolved a lot easier than you thought well michael thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure speaking to you and i wish you every continued success uh, at pot commerce and uh, where you're heading uh, in your entrepreneurial journey uh, for anybody who wants to get in contact with you or speak to pot commerce uh, how how do they go about doing that um i mean it depends what kind of um, kind of contact we don't really look for recruiters if you're a recruiter I'm, <laughs> no I'm joking but like <laughs> no I mean we don't really like um, there's there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me I mean and if you have something interesting I'm sure as an as an especially as an entrepreneur in a in a startup that wants to drive forward his business you'll find a way to get in touch brilliant so what do you think We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H, easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe and until next week, cheers.